0: let's put our songbooks aside. Let's take our Bibles out. Let's turn to Acts 24. Acts 24. I believe today is message number six on the conscience. We've talked about the nature of the conscience, the working of the conscience, the evil conscience cleansed, talked about the good conscience desired. Today, my dear brothers and sisters, I want to consider a clear conscience- clarified, a clear conscience, clarified. Let's bow before the Lord and ask for his help as we look at his word. Father, as we consider your word today, we pray that it would be a word in season because we have prepared our hearts by worshiping you in song and prayer and reading your word, giving to you. Now we come to your word wanting to make sure that our hearts are not hard, but that they would be soft that we would be hearers and doers of your word, committed to do what we find in it this morning. We ask for your grace, the strength that we need in this moment, that your word would be productive and profitable in our life. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus told a story about three men who were given different amounts of money. And these three were expected to make money, with the money that they had been given. For example, one of those might take the money he has and buy seed potatoes, plant them, harvest them, sell them, and in the end have more money than he began with. And in Jesus' parable, the investor returned later on to check on his investments. And as you remember from that story, two of those who had received money made more money. And one had done nothing with it. Now just think for a moment. Do you think they all felt the same when they gave their accounting to the investor? Kids, imagine your parents telling you to clean your room, if that's hard to imagine. And your brother does, but you don't. And then your mom comes to look at your room. Are you going to feel the same way your brother feels? When he did clean his room and you didn't, well, he's going to have a clear conscience. And you're not. You say, well, which is better? We want to consider that today. In our study of the conscience, we've learned about different facets of a good conscience. The conscience is something that must be informed by Scripture. The conscience is something that is dynamic. It needs to be dynamic, not dormant in our lives. And when we have a good conscience, it will come from being resolved to doing what's right and from doing what's right in our life. That's what we've learned in the last couple weeks. Today we're going to dig deeper into what a good conscience is. We're going to see a different shade of a good conscience. So we're going to see that in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. This is where the Apostle Paul speaks, and he says this. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience towards both God and man. A good conscience will be a clear conscience. And since we're all supposed to desire a good conscience, we need to desire a clear conscience. So today in three points, we're going to consider a clear conscience. We're going to talk about the chore Of keeping a clear conscience, the importance of a clear conscience, and the breadth of a clear conscience. So first, from Acts chapter 24, verse 16, we see, we learn that keeping a clear conscience is hard work. Paul did his best to keep a clear conscience. And that means to show us that a clear conscience is worth pursuing, because that's what Paul pursued. And I just ask you at the beginning of the message then, how important is a clear conscience to you today? Recently, we've been moving our kids' bedrooms around. And recently, we had to take my daughter's bunk beds from one room to another. And this is a big, big set. It has stairs on one end with storage and there's really only so many places it will even fit in the other room because of the doors and windows, you understand. I mean, beds are so significant, a piece of furniture in a room, that they only fit in so many places. And it's only after you've moved the major furniture, like a bed, that you can bring in a dresser or a table or the kid's vanity or a trash can. Everything actually works around where you put the bed. So, folks... When you think about the conscience, would you equate it to the bed in the room or just the little trash can in the corner? And it seems to me that this is a key difference between Christians of old and today's Christians. For example, the Puritans considered the conscience an essential part of a godly life. In the terms of Hebrews chapter 5, a Christian doesn't grow if he doesn't exercise his discernment, his conscience. So they consider the conscience to be central to the Christian life. But modern Christians, my understanding, my observation is that they consider the conscience to be a nuisance. A conscience is a type of a wedge. It's what divides churches over matters of conscience. I wish we wouldn't even have the conscience, they might think. We wouldn't have all these divisions, they might think. So there are many ways in which I feel that promoting a good conscience today is like selling a snow shovel in Florida. It's a hard sell. So is the conscience that's clear worth pursuing? Paul's example says absolutely. Paul wanted to have a clear conscience. And the word clear here means it's blameless. It's void of offense. It's a conscience that detects no faults, no problems. And, and of course, we're going to think at some point, if my conscience is never detecting problems, it must not be working because I have problems. Now, we're going to talk about that point later on in the series because that's a valid point. But for now, let's at least... Take what Paul says here and realize that we need to have a clear conscience that registers that what we are doing is what we ought to be doing. We need to be like like those two in Jesus' parable who were given money to make money, who had a clear conscience because they did what they were supposed to do. We need to do and be like your brother, kids, who cleaned his room like he was supposed to. Paul pursued a clear conscience. We should pursue it. And then we ask, well, how much effort should I put into a clear conscience? Well, a clear conscience is worth your your best effort. I mean, look at the language of what Paul says in this verse. The ESV says this, I always take pains to have a clear conscience. New American Standard, I do my best to maintain always a clear conscience. The NIV, I strive always to keep my conscience clear. This is work. Paul exerted great effort to keep a clear conscience, and he exerted consistent effort to keep his conscience clear. What that shows us is that Paul assumed a very disciplined life for this state. I just want you to reflect on your life. What daily disciplines do you have? Perhaps you have the daily discipline of brushing your teeth or washing your hands or checking the food labels for gluten or making sure to have a cup of coffee in the morning before you start your day. There are certain things that you make sure take place. My question then is, is keeping a clear conscience one of your daily disciplines? Paul's example shows us that We need to have a habit of applying what we know about God to how we live. We need to work at practicing obedience to God's Word. We need to trouble ourselves so that our consciences won't trouble us. It's a chore that is necessary for every single one of us. As we go on, we're going to find out how important Paul thought a clear conscience was. Look at the first word of the verse. In the ESV, it says, so. And the NAS helps us a bit on this one. It says, in view of this. That is to connect us to what came before. So look at chapter 24, verse 15, where the verse ends, there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I strive. So the point here is, there's a point being made at the end of verse 15 that makes a big, big decision for Paul. What he saw is there is a future resurrection. And it's described in these terms, of the just and the unjust. What that is showing us is not simply that one day people will come to life again. Instead, one, people will come, one day people will come to life and they will go to judgment. The judgment of the just, the judgment of the unjust. So it's in light of the coming judgment that Paul seeks to have a clear conscience. We learn from that, our second point this morning, future judgment raises the importance of a clear conscience. If there was no judgment to come, we might not think that a clear conscience was as important. I think it still would be. But a future judgment really makes it important. The conscience is doing today. It is making judgments, which Christ will one day do. So the conscience's judgments today are a prequel to the future judgment. Now, kids, when you finish high school, which is actually not that far away, when you finish high school, you are going to take the ACT test or the SAT not sure what they have around here, but both of those tests—they test your uh, readiness to go to college. And to make it really short and simple, if you don't score very high on the ACT, you'll probably have a hard time at college. Some colleges may not even accept you to go to college there. But if you ace a lot, if you ace that ACT. You'll probably do well at college. And, and to prepare people for that very difficult test, there are whole courses that are offered. You'll take many, many tests to prepare you for one test, the ACT, at the end of high school. And what all those pre-tests do is give you a good gauge of how that ACT test is going to turn out. And it's in some ways similar The judgment of the conscience to the judgment one day of Jesus Christ for the believer. The judgment of our conscience in telling us what we are doing, whether it's right or wrong, is kind of preparing us for one day for when Jesus will review our life. I need to make sure that we're considering this properly. There is no condemnation for a believer that has been taken care of through Jesus Christ. But we are told that Jesus will judge Christians. And that judgment is framed in terms of reward. And He will give us a reward based on what we have done, whether good or evil. And it's in light of all of that that we should take seriously the judgments of our conscience. Seriously in two regards. First, there will be judgment then for what the conscience condemns now there will be judgment then for what the conscience judges you for now. Romans 14.23 says this, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. This is trying to talk about a person who probably came from a pagan background where he ate meat that was offered to idols. It was part of his worship to God. So if he eats Meat that has been worshipped to idols, he thinks he is committing idolatry. He is breaking God's law by eating the meat. So if he chooses to eat the meat when he thinks doing so would be sin, he is choosing in his mind to sin against God. And it will be sin for him because that's what he is intending to do. Now the opposite of doing what you think you shouldn't do is not doing what you know you should do. James talks about that, chapter 4, verse 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, to him it is sin. This is already taught to us in the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, where it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. When it's in your power to do it, do not say to your neighbor, Go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it. When you have it with you. And maybe put some more examples to this, James gives them to us when he shows and tells us that if someone comes to you and, and they don't have enough clothing, it's cold outside, they don't have enough food to live, and you have an extra coat, you have extra food, you are responsible to give it to them. If you don't give it to them, it's sin. Or he goes on to talk about the one who has someone work for him. If someone works for you and you have the money to pay him, You don't tell him, ah, I'll pay you tomorrow. If you have the money, pay him. He depends on his wage. Don't withhold wages from someone who works for you. That would be wrong. It would be sin. The point is, you must do what you know you should do. If you don't, it's sin. If you don't do today what you know you should do, Jesus one day is not going to approve. He's not going to say, well, I know you thought it was wrong then, but it's really okay. And what that teaches us is this. The judgments that our conscience is making today are not insignificant. They're extremely important. I'm going to illustrate this one more time to make sure you understand it. Young people, when you are making scrambled eggs in the morning, and one of those eggshells drops into the pan, get it out like you know you should. You say, well, why should I do that? Because if you don't take the eggshell out, someone else is going to find it later on. It's not going to be good for you. In the same way, you and I have a conscience who today is saying, do this, don't do this. Why should we listen? Because one day there will be accounting for it. It is important. The coming judgment necessitates that we take the judgments of our conscience today seriously. And Paul connects this idea of the conscience and judgment in his prayer to the Philippians. So as a cross-reference, cross you can write down Philippians 1, 9, and 10. Paul says, my prayer is that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what's excellent. Those terms there are very similar to what we saw before in Hebrews chapter 5. He's saying, my prayer is that you will grow in knowledge, you'll grow in discernment, you'll grow in your exercise of your conscience, doing what is right based on what you know is right, so that you'll be pure and blameless, void of offense. That's the same term we have in Acts chapter 24, verse 16. You'll have a clear conscience. Exercise your conscience so that you'll have a clear conscience. Why is that so important? The end of the verse says, So be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The clear conscience is linked with the coming of Christ. So it is so important for us that we seek that confidence that comes from doing what we know we ought to do. Like Paul, we need to strive to have a clear conscience. The judgment of our conscience is important. Secondly secondly not only there, will there be judgment then for what the conscience condemns today there may be judgment then for what the conscience condemns now now i'm hoping that you noticed my very slight change of word words cuz it is extremely purposeful you may be judged then for what the conscience condemns now. Why do I say that? Second Corinthians 10, verse 18. Listen to this. It is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Notice the distinction. The distinction is one of judgment and who is actually right. First Corinthians 4, 4. Paul says this, I am not aware of anything against myself, But I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. You see, the the point of these verses is that God is the ultimate judge of what is right and wrong, and He is the ultimate judge of what each one of us has done. We may think we've done what is right, but we may be wrong. Now, I, I need you to make sure to be with me as I get through this. This is somewhat technical, it's not meant to be. I need you to be with me. I've been telling you that a clear conscience is extremely important. But now it sounds like I'm backtracking. And you may think, are you saying that your conscience can actually be wrong? That it tells you you're right and you're actually wrong? Yes. Remember we had that scripture reading from Genesis chapter 20 this morning? Brother Dave read? We saw how Abimelech, he took Sarah to be his wife. Why? Because Abraham and Sarah had said that she was his sister. And because of that, he said, well, it's fine for me to to take her as my wife. And you realize then that he didn't know everything that was going on. God comes to Abimelech in a dream and tells him, you're a dead man, and and, he Abimelech responds and says, would you kill the righteous? I'm righteous in this. I didn't do anything wrong. He said Sarah was his sister. No problem. And God actually understands his point and says to him in verse 6, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. That's Old Testament for a clear conscience. I know that you have done this, and you have a clear conscience about it. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I didn't let you touch her. So, we have to see what's actually going on here. There is nothing registering in his mind that he's done anything wrong. Why? Because the conscience functions based on knowledge. And wouldn't you believe it that sometimes we don't know everything? This is actually where our assessment of ourselves just has to come down. As we reflect on this, we learn some very, very important points. From this passage, we realize that our knowledge of any given situation is limited. We're human, like Abimelech. We don't know everything. We don't know if someone is lying to us like Abraham lied. Or, we don 't know all the consequences of our actions. I mean remember the first president of the United States? Remember how he died? He died by bloodletting. he didn 't understand that is an unhealthy medical practice. he didn 't know the radium girls who would paint uh, who worked in factories and they would paint the mechanical dials of watches with radium they didn 't understand that. Their exposure to that radium would harm them drastically. They didn't know. So many religious people of the past, like the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, they smoked. They didn't know how unhealthy it was like we know today. And could you imagine that people today might do things that they don't realize may be hazardous to their health? You see, the list of things we don't know is really long we're human. There are so many things we haven't uncovered. People lie to us. We just don't know. So what that ought to teach us is this. We should be very, very gracious with those who've come before us as we look back, and we should be very humble in the choices that we make because we may be totally wrong because we just don't know. We don't know all the facts, Secondly, this morning, in addition to that, we have to realize that our knowledge of what God desires for us is partial. The Word of God is perfect, it's complete, but our knowledge of it is not. The great theologian John Calvin, he said that at best, a man is only correct theologically 80% of the time. And what he is confessing there is that his knowledge of God's will is not perfect, He's human, and we need to have the same kind of mindset. It is wrong for us to think that we're absolutely right on absolutely everything, that when we get to heaven, everyone will realize that I was right in every way, and they were wrong. That's just not going to be the case. We're going to find out there were so many things we didn't know, we didn't understand, There is so much difference between us and the day that we are like Christ to know him in glory. So much difference. You say, how should that affect us? That should make us very humble people. Make us very humble people. Well, what should I do practically? I think one of the best ways we can think about how to deal with these things of what we know, what we don't know, let's go look at Old Testament example of this and figure out what, how they should have fixed it. Go back to Joshua chapter 9. You remember in this chapter that the Gibeonites pretended to be from a far distant country and they wanted to make a covenant with the Israelites. The newspapers had said that the Israelites have conquered Jericho, they've conquered Ai, so the next-door neighbors, the Gibeites, they realized, we better do something, so they, they get some really old, dry, crumbly bread, they put on old clothes, old sandals, and they say, we've come from a long way, make a covenant with us. And Israel looks at it all and says, huh, sure, why not? And notice how the story is recorded for us. The men of Israel looked over the supplies those men had brought, but they didn't ask the Lord what they should do. And you remember, they made a bad covenant. So what do we learn? If we as Christians are going to strive for a clear conscience, we must do what we think we should do after considering what God would have us do. Do what you think you ought to do, but only after you've considered what God wants you to do, after you open your Bible and consider what it says. It is very humbling to think as we look at the Israelites there, just a few chapters before, Israel was obediently circling the great city of Jericho and it falls. Israel was obediently going out to Ai and conquering Ai. Turn the page. And Israel forgets to consider what God wants. What that shows us is that one day we can be applying God's word and the next day fail to do it. It's to show us that a clear conscience is actually hard work. It's necessary, though, because of the coming judgment. And that's what we see in Acts 24, verse 16 in Paul's example. This is a chore, but this is very important we need to give ourselves to it and lastly let's consider the breadth of this the third and last point this morning acts 24:16 i always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both god and man so in paul's assessment of a clear conscience he considers his acts his intents both towards god and others And given that truth, we learn this. Considering God and others is going to expand our scope, the scope of a clear conscience. Considering God and others expands the scope of a clear conscience. It raises the bar. A clear conscience is not simply that you assess your habits, your choices, and you ask, well, should I do this? A clear conscience is bigger than that. A clear conscience asks, does God want me to do this? Will this please God? Will this help my neighbor? A clear conscience is bigger than what we might have thought. I was thinking about this this morning. So by way of illustration, I'll say, my dear wife and I took Greek together in school. And there was a day that we went into class and we had our quiz. And when I took the quiz, I realized I didn't know anything that was on the quiz. Because I had studied the wrong lesson. And when you get into a testing situation and you think, I didn't realize it was going to cover this. That's a bad feeling. We might think that a clear conscience is just this little thing. "Hmm, Should I do this? Should I get up at this time? Should I do this activity? Should I have this diet? A clear conscience is actually far more than that. It includes God. It includes how we deal with others. We need to have this breadth, this scope when we think of the conscience. First, a clear conscience comes from living humbly before God. That's what Paul thought about. He said, I have a clear conscience towards God. Back up to chapter 23, verse 1, Paul said, I've lived my life before God in a good conscience up to this day. So Paul was always living in the reality of God. He said in the book of Corinthians, we make it our aim to please him, to please God. And that type of thinking is so foreign to most people in the world today. Paul makes that point because Romans chapter 1, he says, most people don't think it's worthwhile to acknowledge God at all. That's what our neighbors think. They just don't think about God. They don't care about God. They don't want to think about God. But believers, on the other hand, are always going to be mindful about God. Why? Because God has graciously saved you and me so that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and rose for us, 2 Corinthians 5 teaches us. And people notice when we live like that, when we live with God on our mind. Remember Daniel in the lion's den? The king didn't want to throw Daniel in the lion's den, eventually did. The next morning, he can't sleep. He runs out to the den, and he calls out to Daniel. He says this, Oh, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? He's hoping for a response. Daniel does respond. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me. Why? Because I was found blameless. Before him, before God. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Daniel said, I have a clear conscience. You say, how? When the law came for Daniel not to pray, Daniel kept praying. He did what he was supposed to do because he lived his life before God. He also, as we see, he had a blameless, clear conscience before the king. And that goes to our second point. A clear conscience comes from living honorably with others. Paul considered his life before other people to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Paul was always mindful of other people. I'll give you some examples. 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity and supremely so toward you. First Thessalonians 2:10 You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless our conduct was towards you believers Paul was mindful of other people and even more than that Paul lived for the benefit of other people Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 9 1 Corinthians 9 I just want this passage to fall Strongly upon our thoughts, First Corinthians 9 verse 19. This is in the thick of a passage we'll be in for a long time later on in our series. First Corinthians 9:19 9, says, "For though I am free from all, I have made myself a slave to all." Paul described his relationship to other people as, "I am a slave to all." And by by way of considering that, first, I just want you to know that is completely opposed to the motto of our culture, which is be yourself no matter who you upset. Completely opposed to that. It's also different from the motto to just be a nice person. Slave to all is not just be a nice guy. Say, well, what does slave to all mean? Keep reading. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became a Jew. In order to win the Jews, to those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law. And you have to read that and think, no way, Paul. Paul, you're the apostle of grace. You put yourself under the law? You put yourself under the Jewish rules and regulations that are unnecessary in the gospel era? Paul, really, you? Yes, Let's read about an example of this in Acts 21. Paul and company are visiting James and company in Jerusalem. Paul tells them of how he's been preaching the gospel throughout Asia Minor to both the Jews and the Gentiles, and he's seeing people saved. He has taught the Jews there to forsake Moses by telling them to not circumcise their children, not walk according to their customs. And you think, Paul telling that to the Jews there. That is Paul being Paul, the, God, the apostle of grace, not law. But now he's in Jerusalem where there are lots of Jews. Notice what the Jews ask of him, the Jewish believers ask. Acts 21, verse 23. Do therefore what we tell you. Isn't that a strange sense when you tell an apostle what he ought to do. But watch this. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may, be, so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have, that they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the... Law. Paul, put yourself under the law. You're here in Jerusalem. You say, what, what's Paul going to do? Acts 21, verse 26. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple. Now, is that puzzling to you? Paul is the preacher of grace. And he's putting himself under the regulations of the Jewish law. It's not meant to be puzzling. It's actually meant to be exemplary for us. It shows us how much winning other people to the Lord and building up other believers in Christ was to him. In summary, we'd say, when Paul says he has a clear conscience towards other people, He's not simply saying that he's tried to do his best. He's not trying to say that he's been a Mr. Rogers, a nice neighbor. He is confessing that he has bent over backwards to people. He is saying, in his own words, I am a slave to all. So when we think about a clear conscience, that's the scope of it. That's huge. He's saying... Clear conscience is far more than a few personal decisions. It's considering God. It's considering others. So in closing then, when Jesus gave the parable, he gave money to three folks who were supposed to make money with the money they received. Two of them did. One didn't. Two of them had a clear conscience. One didn't. And we're supposed to sympathize with the two who did what they should have done. They had that assurance that before their investor, their master, they did what they ought to have done. And may we, brothers and sisters in the Lord, take God's grace to strive to please Him in every aspect of life, given that we're going to stand before Him very soon. Father, as we consider these things, may You take them and press them on our hearts. May we be happy now to resolve, to strive as the Apostle Peter strove, to have a clear conscience, given that very soon we will see you, we will stand before you, and then we will live with you forever and ever. So may we walk today humbly before you and in an honor with others. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.